We are going to continue in the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 14. So if you want to use the Dwell app or the version, if you have your physical Bible, that's awesome. You're going to turn to John 14 because that's where we're going to be. We'll also have the text on the screen for you. Uh, be, before, before we do that, I want you to think with me for a second. I'm going to ask you a question. How often do you think about heaven? Right? I mean, we believe it's real. Right? But I don't like wake up every day. You know, I mean, there's some days where I'm like, man, I can't wait to get to heaven. But like most of the time, I'm not just like thinking about heaven. And there's probably a lot of different reasons. You know, I've found all Christians, you know, from Christian teachers to professors, pastors, theologians, just your average Christian, have a lot of different ideas about what heaven is like. Maybe your idea is something like this this is a far side comic, right? Uh, Farside was in a publication that was called The Newspaper, which was popular in the late 1900s. And uh, he says, I wish I'd brought a magazine, right? And a magazine is sort of like an acoustic iPad, all right? It's like like a book, but with pictures. Anyway, the whole idea is that he's bored in heaven. And I love this. I saw this because I used to, I I love the newspaper because I used to like go to right to the far side cartoon, right? Which shows my age. I mean, I'm not old, but I'm not young anymore. I know I'm not young anymore because I get ads for shoes you don't have to tie. Because then you're like, you don't want to bend over anymore. Then you have to. I'm like, no, I don't. Anyway, the whole idea of this is this view of heaven where you get to heaven, you know, you get your wings and you get a halo and maybe a harp and you just float around for eternity just playing the harp, right? And I'll be honest, if that's what heaven's really like, I don't, I don't want to go. It just doesn't, I mean, but such a view of heaven is not found in the Bible, where Paul said that to leave and be with Christ would be far better than remaining on earth. So you can think of the best experience you've ever had on this planet, and it's nothing compared to what's coming in heaven. The eternity described through, through the Bible is not some ethereal place of disembodied spirits playing harps and floating around. You know, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. So a place is by nature physical, just as as human beings are physical and spiritual by nature. So Jesus told us these familiar terms to give us something tangible to anticipate. A home where we will live with him, like a physical place where you will hug and you will laugh and you will eat. It It is a home, right? And a home is different from a house, You might live in a house, but it doesn't feel like a home for a lot of different reasons. And one of those biggest reasons where you don't feel at home is relational conflict. Proverbs 17.1 says, Better a dry crust eaten in peace than a house filled with feasting and conflict. And you know this to be true. The writer of Proverbs is saying, look, you're better off in a house where there's peace eating the crust from the Little Caesars $5.55 hot and ready than you are, you know, eating an extravagant meal in a house where there's just tension, right? And you've been there before. And so it's not the physical structure, but the atmosphere, the memories, and ultimately people that make a home, right? And home is a deep desire that humans have, right? We want a place to call home. And in fact, the late uh, Pastor Tim Keller writes this, even the, worst, sorry, even the worst thing that can happen, your death is ultimately the best thing that can happen. We all long for a place that is truly home, and Jesus says, it awaits you. It awaits you. 
And so no matter how at home you feel here on this planet, something greater is coming. So let's read about that, because Jesus explores this a little bit more, talks about it a little bit more in John 14, 1 through 3. So he's talking to the disciples, and I'll explain why he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. But he says, don't let, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am, with Jesus in a physical place. So now the context of this passage and the reason that Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, is that the disciples had just received some really disturbing news, troubling news at the end of chapter 13 from Jesus saying that he was only going to be with them for a little while longer. And where he was going, they couldn't come, at least not at that time. Now, they weren't totally sure what that meant. And you can just imagine that all this probably caused a little bit of anxiety in their hearts and minds. You know, they just spent three years following this Jesus all over the countryside and had great expectations for Jesus, this king, and probably for themselves as his close followers. And now their hearts and minds are just disillusioned. You know, what what in the world was going on? What is Jesus talking about? Where is he going? Why can't we go? But then Jesus steps in, and only the way that he can, he quiets their hearts by telling them to trust, right? To trust. To trust in God the Father and to trust in Jesus as the Son. And he lets us know that there is a plan. So Jesus tells them to trust. But to trust in what? Well, first, this plan, he's preparing a place for them in his Father's house, Right? Which means that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're born again, saved, a Christian, however you would refer to it, there is a specific place in heaven designed just for you. This is not a generic place. All right? Imagine it's like a custom suite in a mansion specifically for you. The colors you like, the fabrics you like, the furniture you like, all of those things. And second, <clears throat> that what the disciples are about to witness... You know, Jesus' arrest, the cross, his death, his burial, all of those things is the way that Jesus is going to gain access to this heavenly home just for them and for us. And he promises that he's going to come back for us someday, right? And then Jesus makes a statement that seems a little confusing. Here's what he says. And you know the way to where I'm going. Now, he just told them that they couldn't go where he's going, at least not yet. But he says, you know the way to where I'm going. It's like, and we know the way, right? Jesus, that's bold of you to assume I know the way. Well, at least one of the disciples, and maybe you, was a little, was a little unsure. So let's read John 14, verses 5 through 6. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, these verses are absolutely crucial to the Christian faith. Now, Thomas is is sincerely questioning how to get to where Jesus is going, all right? He's being straightforward and honest, and I love that about Thomas, right? You remember, uh, you know, when Jesus appeared and Thomas said, look, unless I see it, you know, see the holes and all of that, I'm not going to believe, right? Thomas is brutally honest, and I love that. And Jesus is honest and straightforward right back with him by saying this, I am am the way. I am the way. Now, this is the sixth 
I am statement in the book of John. Jesus is answering Thomas by saying he is the way to God and that they know the way because they know him. So if you want to know how to get to heaven, you have to get to know Jesus. And this is such a key, <clears throat> this is such a key statement because it demonstrates that Jesus is the only way, right? Not one way or one of many ways to the Father and to eternal life, to what we call heaven, all right? He does not just teach about the way, the truth, and life. No, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He himself embodies what it means to, to be alive, what it means to know truth, and that he is the very way to heaven itself. Now, this is not a popular statement, all right? It seems intolerant. It seems exclusive. It's politically incorrect. It is not nice, right? Now, because many people think that there is no single, true, or objective way to God, that there is no absolute, and yet we understand there are absolute truths in our life. And so the idea that just because God is bigger, the concept of God is bigger and greater, doesn't mean that there isn't truth about how, who he is and how we relate to him. Life is filled with absolutes. Here's one right now. You are either here or you're not, right? I mean, we're not taking attendance, but you either are or you aren't, right? God, there either is a God or there's not. If somebody says like, okay, God might be real for you, but that's not real for me. Well, then it's real because you said it's real for me. It either is or it isn't. Uh, there either is a heaven or there's not. There either is life or death. There, is, there either is life after death or there is not. They can't both be true. So when Jesus says that he is the way, the only way to God, he is either right or he's wrong. It can't be both. And so those who say that there are other ways to God are really saying that Jesus isn't who he says he is. There's a very popular belief that all religions are valid and basically teach the same thing, that there are many ways to get to God, um, that these religions only differ sort of in uh, methods of worship, sacred writings, rituals, traditions, details, those types of things. The reality is that all religions are fundamentally different and at best superficially similar, right? A lot of different religions have similar things like prayer, sacred writings, rituals, but, but at the core of each religion, the foundation is completely different. I'll give you some examples. In, in Islam, they believe that Jesus was a prophet, but that he was not God and that he was not crucified, which is sort of a big deal because Jesus said that he was God. Mormons believe that Jesus is the literal son of God and his goddess wife, and one of three gods in the Trinity, and that the Trinity is three separate gods, not one God as three persons. So Buddhism does acknowledge that Jesus was a great person, but that can't be true. Because if you're a great person, but you're telling people that you're God, you're either crazy or lying. So for the most part, his, his gospel teachings are largely ignored. And then Jehovah's Witness believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in him being God. So Jesus is saying that he's God, and many other religions do not agree with that. Well, they can't both be right. They can't all be right. We simply cannot say that all religions are focused on the same God. Jesus says he is the way. He doesn't show the way. He is the way. And that no one, and please listen to this, no one whatsoever, so not some people at certain times or certain situations can come to the Father except through Jesus. 
And I know that that is a very hard truth, but I care enough about you to say it to you. And that is a very bold claim that Jesus makes. A bold, politically incorrect, exclusive, intolerant claim, unless it's true. Unless it's true. And when Jesus predicts his own death, burial, and resurrection, and then pulls it off, he proved that he was God and that he had the authority to make such a claim. So the bottom line is that only Jesus, only Jesus can be the way. And not only the way, Jesus says that I am the truth. Well, what is truth, right? Pilate asked that question to Jesus when he was on trial. He says, what is truth? Well, truth is reality. I mean, if you get accused of a crime that you didn't commit, what do you want to be known in the courtroom? Opinions? Ideas? No, you want truth. You want to know what, you want what really happened to be known. Truth is reality. And so Jesus is not only true, but he is the definition of truth because he is the reality of all of God's promises and the very revelation of God. So if you want to know the truth about God, look to Jesus. If you want to know the truth about yourself, listen to Jesus. If you want to know the truth about life, trust Jesus. And and trusting Jesus, faith in him is not this blind leap of faith, but is faith based on evidence that he is truly the son of God, that he lived a perfect life that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he literally came back to life. Truth is not one, uh, not one religion, or an, I'm sorry, not one of the other religions or all of the other religions. Truth, reality, is found in the person of Jesus. So the bottom line is that only Jesus, only Jesus can be the truth. And then we come to the next important statement, which Jesus says that he's the life. Well, what is life? Right? If you ask 100 different people to define life, you might get 100 different answers. Well, Jesus says that life is ultimately found in him. You know, these questions that we have about life. Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of my life? What is the future? Is there life after death? All of these profound life questions are answered with incredible hope in the person of Jesus. Because of Jesus, if you are a follower of him, you've placed your faith in him, you are a child of God, created by your heavenly father to display his glory, experience his love, and live for plans that he created you for. I have lived on both sides of Christianity. I have been a Christian less than I've been a non-Christian, And some of you know my story, some of you don't, but I was wild, you know, I was like totally unhinged when I was younger. And man, I just, there was this decade of my life where I was making a lot of money, I was partying all the time, I had tons of friends, some of them were female, and you know, just just crazy, right? And I just lived this life that a lot of people would have said like, man, you, that is it, you're living for the moment, you know, you're following your dreams, like you really got it going on, and I would have probably said the same thing, right? That, man, this is it. But then God came and messed all that up. But I'll tell you what. 
following Jesus, now I look at my old life and I see it as a few things. I see one, that it was irrelevant, that it was pointless, that it was destructive, that it was selfish, and that it was boring. I, mean, I think that's the story, like we think about Christians sometimes, like, man, life was crazy, then I got following Jesus, now it's boring. No, the life that I have lived following Jesus, I never could have imagined the people that I've met, the places that I've been, the experiences I've had, the community that I've built. It is absolutely incredible to find life in Jesus. And so then, if we want to experience life, true life, turn to Jesus. Because nothing else will satisfy. Nothing. Everything else is just going through the motions. Everything else. If you want to find a life filled with joy and meaning and purpose, look to this Jesus. So not only does Jesus give us abundant life here on earth, but he most importantly gives us eternal life. An eternal life that doesn't start when we die. Eternal life that starts when you believe in him. So life hinges on our faith in Jesus. And so this leads to our next bottom line that is this, that only Jesus, only Jesus can be the life, can be the life. So the question is, do we believe this? Do we truly accept that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And if so, if we do, that changes everything. That changes everything. It'll change the way we speak. It'll change the way we live. It'll change the way we think. Pastor Todd said something years ago, and it's so profound, it's always stuck with me. It says that people don't change, but Jesus changes people. And I have found that to not just be true in my life, but in the lives of so many other people. Everything changes because Jesus changes us. And because of this, that has some very incredible results. Look at what Jesus says further down in John 14, 12 through 13. I tell you the truth, right? When Jesus says, I tell you the truth, listen up. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. And I'm like, whoa, Jesus, you're saying the same works, even greater works? I mean, Jesus brought people back from the dead, and turned water into wine and fed thousands of people with a little kid's lunch. And like, I haven't done any of that. So like, am I just failing here or what's going on, right? That's a big claim. So, so this can't be talking about miracles. And I'm not saying that miracles don't still happen. They absolutely do. But there's something greater even than the miracles that Jesus did. And I know this because of one of my favorite, favorite accounts in the gospel, Right? It's the story of the man, the account of the man on the mat. So here's the, here's the scene. Jesus is in a house, and he's teaching to crowds. And it's packed. You can't get in this house. You can't get near this house. So these four guys, they have a friend who's paralyzed, probably been paralyzed a long time. And they know that if they, they've heard about this Jesus, about what he can do, and they know if they can just get him to Jesus, right, he's going to fix the problem. So they realize they can't get into the house. So instead of being adults and just waiting, they get this bright idea that they're going to go up on the roof. They're going to dig a hole in the thatch of the roof. Like, like God, this is a guy plan, all right? They're like, yeah, we'll just dig a hole in the roof. And my buddy's a roofer. We'll fix it tomorrow. And uh, they lower him down. 
and they sit him in front of Jesus, all right? So imagine this scene, like stuff's fallen, this dude gets lowered down on ropes, and he's right in front of Jesus, right? And he's obviously paralyzed, and Jesus looks at him and says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And the guy's probably like, hey, that's great, but uh, my feet don't work, so that's kind of what I'm here for. Because this guy, he thought his biggest problem in life was that he couldn't walk, right? And I think I would agree with him. I probably would have thought, man, if only I could walk, I would never want anything again. Maybe you're here and you feel the same way, right? If only my kids would stop this. If only the diagnosis was this. If only my job, if only I could get a job, if only my house, if only my wife. There's a million if only statements that you believe if that happened, you would be okay for the rest of your life and you know that it's not true. I mean, if you are a student in here, right? You're like me. I'm like, all I need is the next iPhone. And I get it and I'm so happy. And then they go and make a newer one. And I'm like, man, right? And so this guy thought that the only thing that he needed was to be able to walk. And he would never want anything again. And I'll, get, and I'll tell you what, he, was, he would be right for a while. But eventually, and I know it's hard to believe, even walking would have become normal. And there would have been something else, right? There would have been something else. Jesus understood that this man's greatest problem wasn't that he couldn't walk. His greatest problem was that he didn't have life because he didn't have a relationship with God. And so only through Jesus can we find life. So Jesus reaches into this man's heart and he heals his greatest problem, the greatest miracle, which is a reconciled relationship with God. So the greater things that we get to do is the sharing of the gospel with the world, which leads to the greatest miracle possible, and that is salvation. That rotten people like you and me could be reconciled to a holy, perfect God. And in that sense, the disciples, as well as us today, have been a part of something greater than, than even what Jesus did in his physical miracles. So how do we do it? As followers of Jesus, what does this look like? If we want to know the way, the truth, and the life, what does that mean? Jesus extrapolates it maybe in a way you wouldn't expect. He says this. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. So here we see Jesus making a direct correlation between loving him, knowing him, and obedience to him. And it's absolutely critical. Anyone who wants to know Jesus, who loves Jesus, will obey his commands. Jesus said anybody who doesn't love him will not obey his commands. Now, what I am not saying, what I am not saying is that you obey Jesus in order to get him to love you. What I am saying is that if you truly love and know Jesus, you will obey his commands. And that makes sense logically, right? If God, if, if, if Jesus was in the beginning with God creating, he created you and me, so he knows what makes us tick. He is the sustainer of life. You're breathing his air right now, all right? And, and he loved you enough that even when we were his enemies, he gave his life for us. How do we go around saying, yeah, I got a better idea on how I'm going to, you know, conduct my relationships or spend my money or, or those types of things, right? And I'm not talking about just knowledge because you can know this and not do it. 
I talk to people all the time who believe that they're a Christian, say they're a Christian, but they really don't understand that that, what that means. And they don't believe that you have to do what Jesus said in order to believe him, to believe in him. And that's totally false. It's totally false. Jesus said in, in, in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? The same Jesus that we run to on our knees when life is falling apart is the same God that we say, I'll do what I think I like and still applies to today. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. 1 John 2, 4, Jesus says, if someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. Again, to be crystal clear, I am not saying that we obey Jesus to get him to love us. What I am saying is that because he loves us, the natural outflow of our heart should be, I'm going to do what you say, Jesus. You are Lord. And so maybe wrestle with this. Because you're probably thinking, man, I know some people need to hear this sermon. Well, as I was preparing it, I needed to hear it, and you probably need to hear it too. You know, we say we love him, but are our actions and words and thoughts demonstrating that love? You know, if they're not... If they're not, then, then I am pleading with you. I am pleading with you to allow the conviction of God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, to change us so that obedience and love can go hand in hand as we follow Jesus. Because after all, you know that love is more than just words. It's commitment and conduct. And so the bottom line is that only Jesus can connect love and obedience. You know? Which may cause you some anxiety, because maybe you're saying, well, what if I'm not obeying, you know? Well, I'll tell you this. Don't ask yourself that question, because our capacity for self-deception is infinite. I'm pretty good at convincing myself I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good guy, right? Find someone who cares about you enough to be honest with you and maybe hurt your feelings if they have to. Or what if you've never believed that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Maybe you've passed that billboard on 250 going towards Sandusky a thousand times. And you're like, I don't even know what that means, right? But today it clicked. Today it clicked. And you realize, I don't know the way to heaven. I don't, I don't really know if I have a grasp on truth. My life, I don't know if this is life, right? Well, the next action step, the next bottom line is that only Jesus only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can save you from disbelief in him and disobedience in following him. You cannot try harder to follow Jesus. You need his help. Because you see, our ultimate action step is to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and to let him save you. Last week, something incredible happened that I'm going to tell you about. I was in Sandusky at, at the Sandusky campus, and I'll tell you what, I've been doing church long enough where I kind of know like how the morning is going to go, right? I know how we're going to do ministry. I'm going to get there at this time. I'm going to pray with this team. I'm going to talk to these people. I'm going to shake these people's hands. I'm going to preach this message. We're going to do these songs. I'm going to do these announcements. When we're done, somebody, will, people will come up and talk to me. Usually it's the same people, and then uh, like we'll shake hands afterwards, and then we'll go home, and I'll take a nap, right? That's how God's going to do ministry on that Sunday, Right? Now, I've told you that ministry is oftentimes disguised as inconvenience. 
So I got like 20 minutes, so I got to go do announcements, right? And I'm like, all right, I got to get out and greet, meet and greet people. And uh, this guy comes up, and I thought he was on the worship team. I was like, hey, are you on the worship team? He's like, no, I'm here because I need someone to pray for me. And everything in me wanted to be like, cool, can we wait till after the service or get lunch like, like coffee some this week? But I felt like Jesus saying, you need to sit in this moment with this guy. And so we sat down, and he just unloads, right? He spent a year and a half in a sober living house doing awesome. And the day before, just fell into this horrible, dark place of drugs and darkness and all of this stuff. And he was just broken, right? And so I started talking to him about Jesus and about how Jesus was the way, Jesus was the truth, Jesus was the life, all of these things. And I said, you know, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I think that thief in your life is this addiction, these drugs, I said, but Jesus said that I've come to give you life and give you life abundantly. I said, if you think of your life right now, is this plan A? Do you think your life is abundant? And he's like, absolutely not. So we're kind of at a fork in the road. You know, you got like two options here. One, you can keep going the way you're going. How's that working for you? Or two, you could take Jesus up on this offer of forgiveness for everything you've done, even what you did yesterday. This, this promise of eternal life, new life. He said, let's do that. That man gave his life to Jesus right in the coffee house at our Sandusky campus last week. Yeah, applaud what God did, right? And that could be your story today. That could be your story today because we're going to do something, right? Um, this may seem a little bit unusual, and this may scare you. And if it does scare you, I think it's two things. I think it's, I think it's the Holy Spirit convicting you and the enemy telling you to not do it. Um, but you know what? This morning, if you are here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you've never realized that he was the way, the truth, and the life, we want to give you an opportunity for that this morning. You know, if you're broken, and maybe suffering from just some, struggling in some disobedience, we want to pray for you. Because we don't want to just come here and sing these songs and pray these prayers and give you this message. You just walk away inspired. But we want you to have an encounter with Jesus. We want you to have an encounter with Jesus this morning. So no matter what it is, we want to give you the opportunity to talk with somebody, to have someone pray for you. So in just a minute, we're going to sing a song together. And as we stand up for this song, if that's you, if God's stirring in your heart, and again, it could be for anything, we just want you to come up to the front. Just stand with us. And then we're going to have some, 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 some volunteers, some of our staff, some of our worship team, some of our pastors are going to be here too. They're just going to come alongside and just listen to what you have to say, to pray with you. And maybe, like I said, the story of that guy last week, that's like, that's what I want today. Could this, that could be your story today. So do me a favor and stand. And we're going to sing. And at this time, I just want to invite... Um, my prayer team forward as well. Let's sing this together.